postmodern and post-Christian are both terms that the, the church seriously needs to retire. We're going to the world to tell them who we are, and we're not going to the world to present who God is. A world in which so much is focused on building walls and keeping people out. An alternative way to live is to live by... It's almost like raising a white flag and saying, Ah! It's all the secular people's fault and no one's listening or coming to our evangelistic campaign. How can we redesign Adventism to be effective at reaching emerging Western culture? That's what the Story Church podcast is all about. Adventism Redesigned. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Pastor Marcus here, and I want to welcome you back to another episode of the Story Church Podcast. Uh, I'm excited to be back here with you guys. I had a a week off last week, um, and uh, a couple of weeks before then as well. The the frequency has definitely slowed down as far as like how often I can post things just because stuff's been crazy, man. Um, not only with the whole COVID thing and managing the churches, uh, churches that are now sort of in the process of reopening and having to navigate those um, complexities. Uh, but last week, uh, my wife also had her uh, school finals for, for her semester. So um, that was, uh, that was a, a fun, fun journey. And uh, thankfully, that's over now. And I can get back to um, thinking through the, the content and writing new things and and sharing new things. And so what I wanted to do this week was I wanted to jump back into the current cultural milieu and talk about Adventism and uh, racial injustice by sharing what, what I think are seven things that Adventism must do to oppose racial injustice. Now, these aren't these seven things. I want to make it really clear. Like these seven things are not necessarily the most urgent things I think our church needs to do. Um, and, and this is definitely not an exhaustive list at all either. I can think of a ton of other things to put into this list. The only reason why I am sharing this particular list today is because the items, these seven items are seven items that I've rubbed shoulders with the most from my vantage point, from my experience as a, as a Latino Adventist. Um, I've rubbed shoulders with this particular aspect of it the most. Others have rubbed shoulders with much more um, deep or profound or <laughs> um, damaging things, I, could, I should say, uh, or I could say. Uh, so others would have, uh, you know, different, a diverse list of things. But either way, I do think that these seven things that I'm going to share are significant. Whether they're the most urgent or not is beside the point. I, I do wholeheartedly believe that at some point as we navigate our identity and our voice in the world, we, we've got to deal with these seven things. But anyways, before I, before I get to that, I want to uh, take a moment just to start by saying this. And it's this. I'm, I'm super super proud right now to belong to a church with a profound historical and contemporary consciousness of justice. Uh, it's just amazing. And as the chaos of this racial tension boils all over the place, it's, it actually has been really awesome to see many Adventist leaders who are speaking out and uh, have issued official statements and marched in these peaceful protests in support of the kingdom ethic of, of oneness, compassion, and, uh, and of course, this opposition to the way of empire, right? That's like so deeply embedded in Adventist identity. Um, we really need to recapture that. I'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Um, but here's the thing, like I, I didn't really want to make a list because it's, it's unfair. Like I, I just 
really get the sense I forgot somewhat. <laughs> um, but I, I've decided to take the risk anyway, and I wanted to thank publicly a few voices, a few people who have impacted me personally. They may or may not know it, but they've definitely impacted and blessed me in this conversation, in this journey. Um, and I just thought, you know what? I, I think it'd be nice um, to to just publicly thank the following names for their positivity and their influence in this space. Uh, so Michael Michael Nixon from Andrews University, uh, Caleb Isle, uh, Humans of Adventism, uh, Nathan Brown, who is um, science uh, editor for Science Publishing, Justin Coe from the I'm Listening with Justin Coe YouTube channel, uh, Ty Gibson from Lightbearers, Nicholas Miller, also from Andrews University, and pastors Matthew Schallenberger. Tina Nelson, Eddie Hippolyte, and Nelson Fernandez. Look, guys, I just wanted to take this moment to celebrate each of you for your voice in this space and your courage. Uh, you, you guys are the ones, like, you, you make me proud to be an Adventist. Um, and we haven't, like, here's the thing, we haven't always lived up to our prophetic identity. And in many ways, we still don't. And of course, you know, anyone who follows me on social media knows that I'm, I'm challenging the church on that very point right there. But in the midst of challenging the church on that very point, I also want to pause and recognize those who are manifesting a spiritual, biblical, um, positive influence in that space and, and listening and watching each of you. And, and there's many others as well, but, but you guys especially, you give me hope that our movement is it's on the cusp of being rediscovered and reclaimed for what it really is, a prophetic voice to proclaim both promise and protest during the epilogue of the human story. So thank you guys. And you know, I also wanted to uh, praise God that the mentality that prevented um, such widespread action from, from the clergy, from church members during the civil rights era, um, it, it appears to have lost its tyrannical force. Um, yeah, it's still there, but I don't know, at least from where I'm see, sitting, it definitely seems like there is a positive shift in that space. And uh, in case you're unsure what I'm referring to, in, in his article, uh, Five Reasons Adventists Stink as Social Justice, Pastor Nelson Fernandez pointed out that during the civil rights era, and I quote, some pastors were actually prohibited by their conferences from getting involved, end quote. Uh, so I don't know, like... I, I guess from where I'm sitting, it looks like this mentality appears to be shifting. Now, is it due to an increase in a prophetic consciousness of justice in the church? Or is it because there's this contemporary fear of media backlash if those kinds of prohibitions were enforced in the present age? I don't know. I don't know. I like to think it's the former, not the latter. You know, I like to go for the optimistic and not the cynical <laughs> view. Uh, but look, either way, I'm just glad more Adventist leaders are in a position where they can raise their voices and protest the injustice of empire in the spirit of our pioneers. And that's really cool. Now, with this celebration, I, I do want to take the opportunity to remind all of us that these developments, while they're brilliant steps in the right direction, they're only just the beginning. And, and that's something to celebrate. You know, like we're taking some amazing steps in the right direction. Um, but let's not, you know, think, oh, we had a conversation and we posted some stuff on social media and a few guys went to some marches and issued some official statements. And so the problem solved, like it's not you guys, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's definitely not solved. We, we have conversations that are overdue and we have concrete shifts to enact in our institution and culture 
if we wish to become a movement of righteousness and justice in the world today. Uh, and so to that end, I just want to point out some of the shifts that I believe we need to work toward. And like I said at the beginning, this is by no means exhaustive. And these shifts are by no means the most urgent either, or necessarily the most urgent. Um, nevertheless, I do think that there are important components in the conversation over justice and the church's mission. So let me jump onto that right now, guys. I'm sharing with you today seven things Adventism must do to oppose racial injustice. And as I share with, um, as I share these seven ideas, what you'll discover is that it's not just racial injustice that making these shifts will oppose. It's, it's many different things, uh, many different types of injustices, uh, but also it'll just really give us a much more potent voice in the culture, something that we kind of lack. Okay, so here we are. Number one. Ah, man. We really need to shift our prophecy seminars from using religio-centric frameworks to a more relevant framework of justice. Now, some of you are probably sitting there thinking, are you saying we should change our message? No, no, no. Uh, that's not what I'm saying at all. Here's the thing. A big part of the reason why our prophecy seminars are so irrelevant and struggle to attract a younger crowd is that they are framed within a consciousness that is only familiar to older generations. So basically, our entire message is packaged within religious tensions. So for example, is the Sabbath day on the seventh or the first day? Right now, that's a question that we explore and we market that question in our prophecy seminars. But here's the thing, like this is a question that only already religious people would give two hoots about, right? Like, is the Sabbath the seventh day or the first day? Like, only people who were raised believing that Sabbath is on Sunday would actually find that question interesting. But we live in a culture where nobody, I mean, increasingly, I don't wanna say nobody as an overstatement, but increasingly, um, the vast majority of secular culture today has never been to church. They don't know anything about Sabbath or Sunday. So you ask them that question and it's like, okay, why should I care, right? Um, and so what, I, what I'm saying is we need to reframe our message to touch these emerging millennial and Z categories, which are far removed from religion, but they are steeped in the social and the humanitarian. Uh, so for example, um, imagine that same scenario, but instead you're talking about how the Sabbath opposes consumerism or racism or economic exploitation, all of which the Sabbath does, by the way, right? You don't, you're not having to um, redefine the biblical theme using something external. It's internal to the Sabbath. Um, and, and so that's what it would look like. As a, as a very brief sort of, you know, simple example, that's what it would look like for our message to be reframed to speak value to the present day. Now, imagine an entire prophecy seminar reframed that way. That would be awesome, right? An entire prophecy seminar reframed to speak value into a culture that is contending with the social and humanitarian uh, injustices that surround us. I mean, that, that would just be brilliant. Now, Adventist 
uh, and mathematics professor Anthony Bossman. He, I hope I pronounced that right, Anthony. Forgive me if I didn't. Um, he, he said it best in his social media account uh, on Facebook. He posted this, this following statement uh, about a week ago, I believe. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to quote him now. I recently listened to an interview where some people tried to explain to the interviewer Adventism's distinctive doctrines, and I realized how bizarre it can all sound to an outsider. The problem? We have divorced our doctrines from the history of abolitionism and anti-imperialism within Adventism that informed and expressed our theological package. The Sabbath appears to be just a curious feature of our faith until you recognize that it is an act of liberation for the oppressed and resistance against the oppressor. Talking about the beasts in Revelation is really strange until you realize that our systems are rather that our pioneers used this language to denounce American slavery and other oppressive systems. The investigative judgment sounds rather peculiar until you appreciate that it is a way of describing God's final act of deconstructing the empires under whom so many have suffered. The millennium can sound like a bizarre otherworldly vacation until one sees that we will need such a time to expose, understand, and heal from the bigotry of this world before we participate in the perfect justice of the world to come. If Adventism is to be compelling, rather than shy away from these teachings, we must let them speak to our current moment, end quote. I couldn't have said it any better, Anthony. That was amazing. So, you know what? I'm just going to move on to point number two. All right, point number two. Use our prophetic voice holistically as a voice of promise and protest. So point number one was, look, let's... Let's keep preaching our prophecy seminars, right? Like, I'm not against prophecy seminars. Um, I mean, I'm against the way we generally do them. And I think that's no surprise. But I think if we reframe them and, um, you know, change a few other things that I don't want to get into in this particular episode. I've talked about it in other episodes. But I think if we reframe them to speak to the current cultural milieu, they can be really meaningful and really powerful. Uh, but that, that's just a quick summary on point one. As we move on to point two, use our prophetic voice holistically as a voice of promise and protest. And here's the thing, like the prophetic theme in scripture, the prophetic voice is a voice that proclaims both a promise and a protest. Now we do okay with promise, but it's I, I think it's time we recaptured protest. Um, and, and while I'm thankful, right, I'm, I'm like super thankful that the streets are crying out for justice. It's, it's also true that in the midst of this explosion, there's this mayhem of voices, perspectives and ideologies clashing and ricocheting off of each other at such a maniacal frequency that it's like impossible to discern the path through all this pandemonium. And I believe the church ought to be that path. We need to use our prophetic voice holistically as a voice of promise and protest. Number three, we need to create Bible study resources for new believers that aim to teach a consciousness of justice and social responsibility, not just flat doctrine. Now, just like point number one, most of our Bible study sources aim to resolve religious tensions. But if your contact has no religious background, which is most people today, half of that stuff is pointless, you guys. It's pointless. 
You know, like I, 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 <laughs> I work with a lot of, you know, secular postmodern people that I connect with and interact with. And it's like, you got these Bible studies about the second coming that are re- reacting to the secret rapture. Like they never, they don't know what in the world is, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, come on. Um, now, I'm not saying that we don't need those Bible study resources. We need them because there are a lot of people that are interacting with that stuff. But we do need other stuff as well. Um, we basically we, we need new Bible study sources that can connect the biblical narrative with the issues secular people are contending with in the now, right? Not a hundred years ago. Now, here's the thing, and I want to make this super clear. I'm not talking about alternative Bible studies here. I'm talking about baptismal studies, the thing people do before they join your church. This is where a consciousness of justice, as seen in creation, Sabbath, atonement, judgment, and advent, should be taught. This is also where students should be led to discover their role in the reversal of suffering by exploring spiritual gifts through the lens of prophetic protest and healing, as opposed to just church duties, right? Um, And if we do this, we, we might finally begin to see a whole new membership ethos emerge from people who join our church because they got convinced through academic arguments, which, let's be honest, we're tired of those, you know, people joining our church because they just want to be right. Like they just, they got proven with a bunch of arguments that they were right and they join your church and all they want to do is be right. And it's just mayhem, right? So, so we can move away from, from attracting that sort of culture and mentality toward drawing people to join our church because they have hearts that want to manifest the kingdom of heaven in the here and now and the ethic of that kingdom in the here and now. And now all of a sudden, we may actually begin to see more people joining our churches who want to be involved and who want to transform their communities. Number four, we're moving on to number four. Um, so just a quick reminder, number one, shift our prophecy seminars from religious centric to um, justice frameworks. Number two, use a prophetic voice holistically as a voice of promise and protest. Number three, Bible study resources that aim to teach a consciousness of justice to new believers, not just flat doctrine. Number four, um, empower local Adventist churches to model themselves for local action, seeking to reverse suffering and injustice in their spaces of influence through both a proclamation of the three angels' messages and accompanying action. Wow, that was a mouthful. <laughs> Basically, we need our churches to be involved in what matters, both in what we're proclaiming, but also what we're doing. Now, this is probably the most difficult one. And I want to be careful here because in a minute, I'm going to say something that might get me fired. So <laughs> here's the thing. Our, our churches and our systems are geared for maintenance. And the thing about maintenance is maintenance assumes a state of comfort. When, when a person as- achieves this state, maintaining this state becomes the paramount objective. But the tragedy for the church is that many in the world today are experiencing chaos and despair. Anything, you know, the exact opposite of comfort. And as we sit back in our comfortable theological fortresses, our neighbor, our neighbors are, are being strangled by fear and confusion. And so really to a large degree, like it's time we repented of our comfort zones. It's time we confessed them and forsook them and got to work reversing suffering and breaking the spell of lies about God that dominate our communities. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I want to be really clear on this. This is not going to happen unless we shift points one, two, and three that I've already mentioned. Because the focus or the, the function of the local church is built on its message, so long as our message is disconnected from the world, our churches are going to be disconnected too. Now, 
there's another point that I want to make here, which is the one where I'm like, let me be careful how I make this. Cause it, it, I'm, and I was only kidding. I'm not worried about getting fired. I, I'm not going to say anything that radical, but I just, I want to be careful here because, um, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to speak out of, uh, just frustration. Uh, I, I, I want my ideas to have uh, a degree of <laughs> a degree of intelligence to them and, and not just be frust frustrated bamblings or, or ramblings. Um, but here's the thing. I wholeheartedly believe that this shift is also not going to happen in our local churches unless our pastors are trained and equipped to make it happen. And, and here's where the frustration comes in that I want to be a little careful not, not to let it take over <laughs> my thinking process. My frustration is that um, to this day, uh, a theology degree leading to pastoral ministry necessitates a whole bunch of what I can only refer to as impractical, socially useless knowledge, like four semesters of biblical languages. Now, here's like, let me be clear here. Like, I'm not opposed to a basic understanding of biblical languages, but let me be frank. The vast majority of those classes are pointless to anyone who's not looking to be a scholar. All right, after four years of biblical languages at university, I have forgotten just about everything I learned except a few key points that I could have been taught in one semester. And I honestly shudder at the thought of getting a master's in theology because of the incredible waste of time and energy that I'm going to have to go through learning these languages again. I think I'm going to get my master's in something else. <laughs> so here's, here's, here's the thing. My proposal is let the, let the scholars do the crazy language stuff. Pastoral candidates, people who are going into local churches, need more training in missional strategies for local church redesign. Th those are the kinds of things that would make us more effective pastors. And those are the kinds of things that are that really like weigh heavily on local pastors. And so instead of having learned all of these things at university where I, where I prepared to be a local pastor, I, I've had to take time from an already busy schedule to teach myself things like local church redesign by reading a gazillion books, half of which were garbage, by the way. And, you know, you got to like filter through a bunch of things. Um, and, and, and you read all this stuff just to have a chance at doing something meaningful. And like what I would give to trade four years of Hebrew and Greek, which I remember nothing of and never use, um, for these more practical on the ground skills. And, and here's my main point, right? Like unless our pastoral training system, our theology degrees make this shift, I don't think our churches are gonna. Like you're going to keep pumping out a bunch of academically trained brainiacs who, in the words of Pastor Matthew Lucio, are, and I quote, deeply trained and tested in things your members don't care about, end quote. That was from Matthew's uh, latest article on the spectrum. I forgot what the title of it, but it's footnoted in the blog. So if you go to the storychurchproject.com and you look up seven things Adventism must do to oppose racial injustice in the blog, it's footnoted there. It's a good article. But... Here's the thing, like, you know, you get all this information and you get all this knowledge and uh, that your members don't care about. And then you get to your local church and you have no idea. You have no clue how to do something meaningful there. You have no clue how to metamorph this local church into a space of healing and transformation for its community. And, oh, man, 
I wish I I wish I wish I didn't have to say this, but I kind of do. A part of me feels like a part of me feels like the way in which we train our pastors hints at our privilege and disconnection as a church. Because I don't know who decides what, you know, pastors are supposed to study to be pastors in the Adventist church. I don't know who makes those decisions, but the fact that we think that knowing the difference between a hip pile and a knee fall is more important than how to transform communities and churches, that you got to do a minor's degree in that instead of a minor's degree in something that's actually practical and useful, um, that enable will enable you to transform your churches to be existentially valuable. It's, it's evidence, for me anyway, of how tone deaf and disconnected we are to the sufferings around us. Um, and so, yeah, like I honestly full, wholeheartedly believe there needs to be a shift in, um, in how we're training our pastors so that when they get out of there, and you know, and some people will say, "Oh, well, you know, you just you just have to go get your master's. That's where you learn the practical stuff. That's nonsense, man. Like, why are you learning the practical stuff then? You know, um, you should you should that should be the first stuff you learn, and and that should be the heartbeat of everything you learn. If if you gotta go spend extra, you know, thousands of dollars after the uh, thousands of dollars you already spent in a impractical theology degree, and then you gotta go spend thousands more to go get the practical stuff, it's kind of dumb." Those are my thoughts anyway, you know, hopefully I, I, um, hopefully I wasn't too offensive there. <laughs> okay, point number five. Let me just move on here. Let me, let me move on before the tomatoes start flying. Point number five, um, equip pastors and members to emerge as valuable voices in the culture, presenting a redemptive, atonement-driven model of justice and protest. Here's, here's the truth, like, and this is connected to my previous point, like so much of our pastor's time is spent on the saints. We hardly have time left for the culture. And on top of this, we have a long history of separationism and sectarianism that makes it hard for us to connect with people who see the world differently. And so voices like Devon Franklin and Whitley Phipps and Barry Black, who are you know, all Adventist and culturally valued, these voices are rare in Adventism. We need more Adventist thinkers and influencers speaking life and meaning to the cultural milieu. But in order to do this, we need to empower pastors to see the streets as their pews, not just the wooden benches in their, in their church buildings. And in light of this, I, I actually want to pause real quick here for a moment and just take a take the, the time to celebrate uh, Justin Coe a little bit more. Uh, Justin is the founder of the I'm Listening with Justin Coe YouTube channel. Justin, honestly, is a brilliant example of what can happen when Adventists seek to immerse the culture and engage it meaningfully. And if you ever get a chance to check him out on YouTube, I highly recommend you do because what he's done is he's framed his ministry in language and categories that make sense to non-Adventists. And so he's, he's, he's discarded the narrow framework and he's engaging the culture according to its own vibe. And I think, you know, it'd be really awesome to have more of our young pastors who have a natural knack for that already doing that in our church. Now, you might be wondering, how in the world does this um, connect to fighting racism in the church? Uh, and that's what brings me to point number six, because it's connected to point number five. Point number six, oh, man, I've, I've been saying this for years, point number six. Um, I've been saying it for years, and some of you are probably sick of hearing it because I say it all the time, <laughs> but I just feel really strongly about it. Um, point number six, expose and repent of the Eurocentric Anglo-is-holy myths that dominate our perceptions of the sacral. So I'm going to make this really plain and really clear in case you've ever missed it in any of my podcasts before. 
You don't have to be, dress, act, express, or sing old European-styled music or fashion in order to be a good Adventist that God approves. It's time we as a church denounced this cultural supremacy for what it really is. It is idolatry. It is the idolatry of one culture above others, elevated to the status of the sacred via the categories of human pride. It's a strange fire on God's altar, and it doesn't belong. In fact, I'd go, I would say that this, it's this Eurocentric vision that makes us so culturally inept as a church. Going back to the previous point, point number five, right? Once you believe that there is only one way to express your faith, you immediately alienate anyone who doesn't connect with that expression. And so again, this is how point five connects with the battle against racism, because so long as we have this narrow cultural perspective, we will always communicate to others that you have to be a good Anglo before you can be a good Adventist. And that false belief alone alienates us from multicultural polyexpressional culture of the day. Now, I want to be really clear here because, you know, like some people are like, oh, you're, you're attacking European. No, I'm not. Like European ways of worship and expression are beautiful in their own right. But what we need to do is we need to expose the dangerous error that they are the only means to approach a holy God. If we can purge this lie from among us, right, which, which includes, and let me be very clear on what I think, right, this includes the removal of all of this Anglo-Sacro propaganda from our channels and bookstores. If we can purge this lie from among us, I believe we are going to see an explosion in more diversity, creativity, and freedom of expression that we have lacked to date. Because when you're constantly being told, actively and passively, that the only thing that God accepts and the only thing that good Adventists, the only way that good Adventists express themselves is within the narrow constraints of an Anglo-Sacral worldview, you kill creativity. You kill people's ability to connect with the culture. All right, moving on to point number seven. This is the last one. This is the last one. Place diverse Adventism front and center for all the world to see. See, it's, it's one thing to say yes to all of the above, everything I've said. It's one thing to be like, yeah, amen, let's do it. Uh, but it's another thing to make it central. And what I mean is, if we vote for all of the above, but we're unwilling to have this diversity and consciousness of justice reflected in our satellite and digital channels, in our publications, in our branding, if diverse Adventism has to remain an underground thing that we permit but do not promote, then no change is really taking place. I know plenty of local Adventist churches, leaders, and members who are already doing all of the above. But they're always the exceptions. They're never the norm. And we need this to become part of our institutional DNA if we want real change to sweep through the next generation. We need to see diverse styles and expressions of faith, culture, and generations celebrated in official spaces like the Hope Channel, the ABC, and general conference sessions. And until we do, our diversity is a mere token to be tolerated rather than a celebration of the image of God in each culture and generation among us. All right. Wow, I've said a lot. A lot of mouthfuls there. I want to just really challenge you guys to think about that. And I want to reiterate, these aren't necessarily the most urgent 
concepts or, or things that we need to be working toward. But they are definitely, definitely things that we need to be working toward. And I'm doing the best in my space to, to work toward, to, you know, some of these um, in the limited um, sphere in which I operate in. And I want to invite you to do the same, right? Don't wait for, um, don't wait for the boat to uh, the giant boat of the church to start heading in that direction. You you can start headed in that direction already, in in small ways. Um, and so I really want to encourage you to do that. And look, there's a lot more I can say. Uh, obviously, I'm I'm only one guy. I can only see in so many dimensions. Um, but these are definitely areas I, I believe need intentional reframing if we want to develop a new culture of justice in our church. Um, and of course, you know, there's a lot more, but it's just my bit for today. I might have a new list next week. Who knows? <laughs> now, I am thankful um, to God, and I want to close with this. I'm thankful to God for the many voices, the brave pastors and the members and the institutions within our church that are currently speaking out. And it's in light of these amazing people that I have this hope that their voices will be a catalyst for deep cultural change so that rather than being lost to time, their influence may actually transform us from the inside out. All right, guys, that is it. I'm done for today. That was that was fun. That was that was fun. I enjoyed that. That was good. Um, if you want to um, check out any more of the uh, cool things happening at the Story Church Project, just head over to thestorychurchproject.com. There is a store with some cool books that you can get, which really help the project to expand. Every time we sell those books, um, I'm able to reinvest and get some more resources created. There's a Bible study set that's currently in the makings. It's so close to being done, guys, so close. So that's really cool. So yeah, um, and if anything, you know, just keep us in your prayers as, um, as we seek to continue to inspire and challenge the local Adventist church to redesign for mission. Take care and God bless. Mm-hmm.